Welcome to the Living Faith Fellowship Conference podcast. The Living Faith Fellowship is a peer network of like-minded churches united under a single biblical authority and one common mission. You're about to hear a message from one of the many conferences hosted by the Living Faith Fellowship every year. We pray it's a blessing. Welcome, everybody. I'm surprised to be here. I'm not a, a scholar. I'm not a great speaker. Uh, I think the, the only qualification for being here is that I'm old. I'm 75 to be exact. And the, the Dave's over there laughing because he knows he's even older than I am. <laughs> I, I don't have any great, wonderful insights into scripture. I've not built a mega church. I'm not even a good evangelist. But God has given me a really wonderful and fruitful life. So if I may, what I'd like to do is just share my walk in Christ and, and the biblical principles that have guided it. And I've kind of been amazed since I've been here because I've heard so much that is just, I mean, it just dovetails in with my own experience. I've, I've loved hearing these guys talk about, uh, uh, you know, how God led them and stuff. And, and I just, you know, I'm sitting there going, amen, amen, amen. And yet they've all had something different to add. Um, I was at Saved at age 27, if memory serves me correct. I was a Kansas City, Missouri policeman at the time. I found the Bible laying in the middle of, of an intersection at Parvin Road and Shoto Trafficway, north of the river. Uh, the Bible belonged to a pastor who had set it on top of his car, and he had driven off. He had been witnessing to a guy, and the Bible fell uh, in the middle of that intersection. And I found it and uh, found a phone number in it, and I called him. Um, he... Uh, he came to my house to get the Bible. He tried to lead me to Christ at that point in time. And I said, no. And, you know, and I wasn't interested this time. He said, well, can I come back? And I said, yes. And he came back next a week later and that led me to Christ. So uh, let me fast forward 10 years of stumbling around in different churches and different denominations, going through a bad marriage, leaving the police department and finally hitting rock bottom. And it was then that I knew that I had to get serious with God because I had literally no place else to go. After a few years of laying carpet and becoming a carpet rep and calling on architectural design firms here in Kansas City, I met the girl that we would become my wife. And she brought me to KCBT, to Jeff Adams. And it was there that my eyes were opened and I began to, to see what, that there was more besides just salvation, that there was growth. So after about seven years of being discipled and getting into the discipleship ministry under Dale Moline uh, and going to the Shepherd School of Ministry, the forerunner of LFBI, the church sent my wife and I out as missionaries to Saudi Arabia. But before I, I continue my story here, I want to lay down a few facts. First, I want you to know that I was so average that it hurt. And I'm sure that you've got as many great stories to tell of the Lord as I do, and that your experiences are every bit as valid as mine. And second, I want you to know that we all come, we must all come to the, to the grips, to grips with the fact that as pastors and that pastors and churches are failing all over this country. I saw it just in spades when I was in Europe, but it's here. I'd refer you to a study done by the Barna Group and the James Dobson Ministry several years ago. But it's only gotten worse since then. And then they, he was saying that there was 1,500 churches a month closing their doors in the United States. 
800 new ones are starting up. But we have a net loss of about 700 churches a month. And, and I hope I've got that messed up and it's actually a year. It's been a while since I read that study. But regardless, it's a huge amount of churches that are just closing the doors. And I see it right out here in Western Kansas. All kinds of empty church buildings laying around or churches that just waiting for the people to die because they're just full of a few old people and nothing's happening and nothing's going to happen. So being average, my only advantage is that of perspective and experience. In other words, okay, maybe I'm old, but I've got a lot of miles on me. I've done a lot of things and God has used me in a lot of different ways. And I, like I said, I'd just like to, to share some of those experiences with you. But Peter said it right in 1 Peter 5, 8, when he wrote, be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil is a roaring lion, seeketh whom he may devour. That's our second. Yeah, you got it. Thank you. Um, and because Satan is subtle, because he's a deceiver, and like a lion stalking his prey, many fail in ministry today. If you're like me, you've read this verse and many times, and you've never really considered the implications to your own life and ministry. But you should. Over time, I've... I've become convinced that pastors don't fail because of great obstacles or great attacks from Satan. I think God takes care of that. But they fail because of the basics of the Christian walk. Either they've never learned or they've chosen to ignore. And like I said, as I hear these pastors speak, I hear them saying the same things. Keep your focus on God. Follow Him. Know that you know when you're being sent out. My wife and I were the fourth couple trained and sent out as missionaries by KCBT. The first three utterly failed. They failed in their lives. They failed in their ministries. They, they became divorced. One, one man had a stroke. Dave could, could name them. I won't say names, but one of them was sent to Ireland. He, he was the first one. He utterly failed. Dan Danley was sent to Germany. He utterly failed. Another one was sent to Brazil, and he utterly failed. Then Karen and I was sent out. We were scared. Knowing how to walk with the Lord is important. And sometimes we pastors and missionaries can get so focused on our ministry that we forget to follow Christ as he leads us. And that's so easy to do. Deuteronomy 8.2 says, that's three, that thou shalt remember all the way which the Lord thy God led thee these 40 years in the wilderness to humble thee and to prove thee and to know what was in thine heart, whether thou wouldst keep his commandments or no. God proves us. He checks us out all through our ministries. So let, let, let me get back to my own testimony. I say again, during my time at KCBT, I was nothing special. When the big dogs went out to howl, I stayed on the porch. I went out on a few mission trips, but I was never a leader. Just tried to be an obedient follower. And the only reason the church sent me to Saudi Arabia is because I had a job offer. And it was a closed country to, to Christian missions and very dangerous for, for Christian missionaries. In my family's view, I had a screw loose. I can remember my mom saying, can't you serve God and stay here? Well, the short answer is no. Because I knew that I knew that that's where God wanted me. My immediate pastor was not open to my request to be sent out. 
So I began writing letters to all the missions board. And I thought, you know, telling them why I thought God was calling me. But I knew that I knew that God wanted me to go. And that's huge. Because if there's doubt in your decisions for God, it's not going to be of faith. And it's not going to be of God. If God is calling you and you have doubt, then stay put until you're absolutely sure that you can go forward in faith believing. As pastors and missionaries, I think our biggest mistakes are not in doing what God wants us to do. They happen because we get ahead of God. We go before. If it wasn't for Jeff Adams and Alan Shelby and Marco Castro, who was on the mission board at that time, I would have never been sent. But my God is able, and he moved in the hearts of these men. Once in Saudi Arabia, God began to teach me another lesson that I very much needed to learn. The early months in Jeddah were probably the most miserable in my entire life. They're the most miserable I can remember. My wife was in the States waiting on a, on a visa, and I felt very, very, very much alone. I searched, and I found an underground fellowship of believers, because there it's against the law to be a Christian, and they will put you in jail. I, I saw a Filipino pastor beheaded for having a Bible study in his home. They put it on television. But they, they drug this guy. I'm sure he was drugged. They had a, a man on each arm. They bent him over. They brought him out in the middle of the square. The Westerners call it Chop Chop Square because we couldn't pronounce the, the name of it. And they, with an old rusty sword, hacked at the back of his neck until the head fell off. So being a Christian over there and doing the Lord's work was indeed serious business. Um, but I found this underground fellowship of believers, and I began the process of proving myself to be a serious Christian because they took being a Christian seriously. They had to be very careful because the secret police was always out there looking for them. And to them, I was just an outsider. But I was so eager to, to, to share the Bible with others. Man, I've just gotten through shepherd school. I've got all this stuff, man. And God's called me here, and I want to go out. And maybe a little bit of pride in there was, was in that. Maybe that's, that's what was holding it back a little bit. But I went for, through a period of time that nobody wanted to hear what I wanted to say. I mean, I was ready, man. I wanted to build a church. I wanted to win people to Christ. No doors open. And after some weeks of wallowing in doubt, I began to wonder if I'd made a mistake. It was in one of those long conversations with the Lord, kind of like what Jeff talked about the other day, that God seemed to ask me, what are you here to do? Now, this was no audible voice. But what are you here to do? Well, I answered the obvious, and God asked me, what have I prepared you to do? What spiritual gift have I given you? He wanted me to see what was the one area in my life where he had always given me fruit, not the fruit, the fruit that my flesh could produce, not the fruit of any talent that I had, but fruit that only he could give. Put another way, in what area of ministry had I seen, had I experienced the Holy Spirit operating in my life? And after a moment's thought, 
I said, discipleship. And God said, then do that. That was what I call what's that in your hand moment. Discipleship was the rod that God had given me. Thank you, Waggy. Uh, discipleship was the rod that God had given me, like the rod that he had given Moses. Now, some of you are gifted preachers, but that's not me. I never even wanted to be a preacher. I, I loved to teach, and I thought that I had my dream job when I was back here in, at Harvest Church here a few years ago under Alan, because all I had to do was teach. But getting back to my story, not many days after my conversation with God, a man named Raleigh DeWavis, a Filipino-Canadian businessman, came up to me, and he asked me, would you disciple me? My heart leaped with joy. And Karen and I began to disciple Raleigh and his wife while we were still attending this underground church in Jeddah. And after a couple months, Raleigh testified to the church body and among his Filipino brothers who were in other churches that they needed to be disciples. From that point, my ministry in Saudi Arabia skyrocketed. In the weeks and in the months that followed, I worked a full-time job. I was managing a, 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 a wholesale food company because to be in Saudi Arabia, you have to have a job. There's no tourism. If you show up there without the proper documents, you will be set, sent somewhere on the very next airplane. If it's back to the States, you're lucky. If it's Timbuktu, well, that's where you're going. The point is, you don't go there unless you, it's, it's serious business. So, so I was working a full-time job. I was discipling after a while, every night of the week. And, and later on, I would pastor this underground fellowship as well. Had my wife not been there to keep me in my schedule straight, I promise you, I never would have made it. I was discipling Arab Christians, Indian Christians, Filipino believers, and I was stretched to the max. But I was loving every minute of it. And I thought that it would never end. It was my dream come true in ministry. But I mentioned that it was a God-given spiritual gift and not any talent that had empowered this three-year ministry in Jeddah. So let me mention some of the fruit of that because it's what God did, not me. One Indian disciple left Saudi. He, he had married a, a Filipino girl that he met in Saudi Arabia. He moved to the Philippines in a very poor remote area of Luzon, built from nothing, a church and a, an award-winning school of about 200 students, grades one through 12, named Joseph Samuel. Another disciple you know, Wagi. Okay, Wagi, uh, huh? Wagi would return to Cairo, Egypt after his job contract ended, and he would start a church there. He's finished his doctorate of divinity degree. He's working in a, to build an Arabic-speaking church here in Kansas City. He's also training people and taking trips over into, into uh, Egypt. Another disciple was a guy named J Joseph Chaco, and his family is still there in Saudi Arabia, ministering to Indian people and bearing much fruit. I don't have a lot of contact with Joseph because it's too dangerous. You don't make any phone calls. You, you have very little communication. You know the government's listening to everything that you do over there. But there was much more fruit in those three years in Saudi Arabia. Some I know about, some I forgot about. 
but I, I, I know it's there. But it was all by God's grace, not me. And the thing I had to learn was not who I was. I knew who I was in Christ. That's clear in the Bible. First John 3, 1 through 3 says that we are the sons of God. Now you are the sons of God. We are the body of Christ in 1 Corinthians 12. We're the bride of Christ in 2 Corinthians 11. And God uses those metaphors so that we can understand our relationship with him and live those truths. And if you're going to be sent out, you don't need to know that as a fact. You need to know that as a reality in your life. So you can move out in faith, knowing who you are in Christ. But as a missionary over there, I also needed to know what I was in Christ. For a new Christian, I'd point him to the seven stages of spiritual growth and help him to understand that. But to be successful in ministry for the long term, I believe I, I needed to know what I was in Christ. How was I gifted? Was it to be a preacher or a teacher? or a discipler like Barnabas, or an evangelist like Philip, or an organizer, or an administrator? Well, God showed me, and that's how he's always led me. And because of that, because I've been true to that gift that he gave me, I've always borne fruit. And yes, I know that you can have more than one gift, but I believe that it's in your primary gift that your spirit will flow. Let me say one more thing about fruit, and this is not the fruit of Galatians 5, 23. That's the Holy Spirit's fruit in you. But your fruit is what reproduces itself. Planting seeds is not fruit. Watering is not fruit. They're necessary for ministry, but they're not fruit. Even discipleship is not necessarily fruit, but it becomes fruit when it reproduces itself. We pastors need to see this as God sees it and, and as he's taught it in his word, like in John 15. And I'm not going to go into the theological weeds here, but what I believe and have scriptural grounds for saying is that, that what should come from our labors are trees that bear fruit and reproduce themselves to God's glory. Getting back to my story. I was reveling in the ministry that God had given me. And as I said before, I thought it was never going to end. I was so happy. I had a joy and a peace in Christ that I'd never known. My company had renewed my two-year contract. I'd finished that. I was, in, I was about to finish my third year, and I thought the fourth year in Saudi Arabia was a done deal. But God had other plans. My contract was not renewed. And I had days to be out of the country. And there's so much more I could add to that story. But suffice it to say that I was soon back at Kansas City Baptist Temple and would be sent out to Cairo, Egypt, to continue discipling Wagi and to help him build a church. Karen and I would spend the next seven years in Cairo, Egypt. Doing what? Discipling. With some help. Wagi built that church in Tawabik, an area of Giza near the pyramids in Cairo. That ministry has evolved. It's grown. Now Wagi's turned that into what a Bible college ministry out in, in New Cairo, another area of Cairo. I, uh, I started an adult, or well, 
I became an adult Sunday school teacher there in a, in a Western church there of about 1,000 people in an area called Mahdi. And I loved teaching basic Bible to many who had been religious for years, many different denominations, but they had never been taught the word of God. At a Christmas party that one year, and of course, I'm still working with Wagi, but I met a man who's the food and beverage director of the Cairo Sheridan Hotel. He was over 11 restaurants and had 300 employees. His name was Kai Hess, very smart, very inquiring German man. We were soon talking about the Bible. Karen and I would disciple Kai and his wife, Rama, and they would later return to Germany and, and establish the Bible church at Stuttgart. He's still there. This church was largely English speaking to German and American families, military officers there in the Stuttgart area. And while Kai was the founding pastor, or founding uh, elder, he was not yet its pastor. I would become the third pastor and take Kai to the point where now he's pastoring that church. But in my seven years of Cairo, I would also have a home Bible study that would bear much fruit. And again, what am I doing? Discipling. People came, people went because of job contracts. One went on to, to disciple others in the American embassy. And then that's in Cairo. By the way, uh, Brian, she has a discipleship in Russian. If you ever have a need for that, I can get that for you. One guy we disciple came back, and or one lady came back and attended shepherd school. She graduated with uh, from uh, MU or KC, the college there in Kansas City here, uh, with a uh, teaching English as a second uh, language, and she's been in Turkey and Eastern Europe now for 20 years discipling. Two men were that we disciple were business executives, and they would fund me through the years as I went down into Uganda and to the Philippines and different places to disciple and teach pastors. There's more than I can even remember, but the point is God did it all, and every day I had to remind myself that it was only by His grace, and He gets the glory. And when I look at me and I look at the talent that's in this room, I'm quite sure that it had to be God because it wasn't me. KCBT wanted me to stay in Cairo, but we'd come to our seventh year, and I watched the opportunities of ministry begin to dry up, and every door that had been opened began to close. Those that I had discipled had finished contracts, and they had moved on. Now, I remember, and I had to remind myself that, you know, that I was not a pastor. I was teaching and discipling. So the old model of planning yourself into a place and dying there just didn't, didn't apply to me. What Jesus was teaching me was how to follow him. You know, John 10, 27, my sheep hear my voice and they follow me. After Cairo, Kansas City Baptist Temple said that they would leave my support group intact for one year. And I had that one year, 12 months to see what I was going to do next. So I wrestled with God and taught him, sought him with many tears, just like you heard testimonies of earlier. But the idea of spending my days working for some company for a profit just was abhorrent to me. I said, Lord, you can't let this happen. You know, I've, I've served you so long and I, you know, I love following you and I, I just don't want to do this. I finished a Bible uh, study degree at, or biblical studies degree that year, sent out lots of resumes only to have door after door closed. I ministered where I could. I talked to the local pastors around here. 
but none wanted a burned out old man off the mission field. More tears, more prayer followed. And finally, just days before my support ended, I received an email from a little church in Centennial, Wyoming. And after a visit, we loaded a U-Haul truck, was on our way there the exact day that our support ended. Not, not even the week, the day. I learned much pastoring a small church at 8,000 feet in the Rocky Mountains of Wyoming. I made many mistakes, I think, of in my ministry in that year. But the church grew and I grew from its experiences. And again, I did not become a great preacher. My only real fruit that I can point to, though I hope there was more, was ordained in this mission conference. George, Jamie sitting over there. But fruit from discipleship. I don't count people growing in the word as I pastored as fruit. I don't count people becoming more faithful in their walk for Christ as fruit. That's necessary. You pray for that. You want to that. I don't. I see that as watering and tending the soil of a person's soul. I see that as, as nurturing of trees. I say again, fruit is what comes from those trees, what has grown up and what reproduces itself. That is fruit. My fruit from that ministry was George. I, again, I, I don't feel good about my ministry in, in Centennial. You know, they're, they're now in the hands of a liberal preacher that's more living off the church than building a work for God. I might add that I left the church in the hands of a KCBT Shepherd School graduate that had been our youth pastor for two years. But somehow he failed utterly as a head pastor of a small church. And I expect it was because he never learned the lessons that I'm sharing with you. I left only because God was stirring in my heart. He'd opened a door for us to go to, uh, to minister in Stuttgart, Germany, and to continue my discipleship of Kai Hess that we had, had uh, discipled in, in Cairo, Egypt. Um, Kai was one of those brilliant men with an IQ that soars far above mine. He was a perfect example of a hard-headed German, but also one that would be faithful to the end. That was probably the hardest ministry I was ever in, was pastoring that church, but trying to disciple Kai. Now, Kai does now pastor that church, and he's doing a great job. By God's grace, that, that church is, is flourishing. But I, I was 70 years old when I left Germany. And by God's grace, Alan Shelby began to reach out to us when I told him that we were leaving Germany. And we were gone from Kansas City for so long that even few knew that we were still in ministry. But what followed, I think, is worth the telling. It testifies of God's grace. Karen and I left Germany with no place to go. One paycheck to our name. Had $1,900 in my pocket. Period. And all we knew was that God wanted us to come back to the States. If I was learning anything through all of this, it's to trust God and follow his leading. His leading. One of the rich men that we discipled in Saudi Arabia uh, paid, uh, paid to have a few of our personal effects shipped back home because I couldn't afford it to have done it. And he offered us a car if we would come by uh, Orlando, Florida. 
his wife had passed away and his car was just sitting in the garage. So we changed our tickets and we flew to Orlando to pick up a 2002 Buick in perfect condition. We drove it for the next six years. I just got a new car just, just a few months ago. And Alan emailed me that if I would save my receipts, he would cover my travel expenses from Orlando to Kansas City. That was not all. Alan had Jerry and Sandy Fox find us an apartment. And the people from Harvest Church helped us move in. So I had what I thought was my dream job, teaching and discipling with no burden of preparing a sermon each week. We bought a house a year later and we lived there for two years. And all of a sudden God showed us. I got other plans. But Lord, I'm old. You know, I'm 72 years old by now. What, what, what are you thinking? Now, don't get me wrong. We loved, we loved our time at Harvest. I say again, I, I thought I'd found my dream job. I thought I was going to retire there. And I still look back, that, uh, back at that with great fellowship and the times that we had. But almost after 30 years of ministry, God was still leading me from place to place. And I can recognize now when God was moving in my heart. I can see some fruit from the ministry at Harvest, but... In such a large church, it kind of gets blurry because people are being affected by so many different ministers and ministries. And I say again, I was just Mr. Normal, working in every ministry where my gift would fit, doing whatever I was asked to do. I think when I, was, when I left uh, Allen's church, I was cleaning the offices as well. So I was just willing to do whatever God wanted me to do. But I saw so many young men looking for ministry at Harvest and looking for places that they could serve that I felt guilty for being there and taking up a position that a younger man could get in and, and grow in. So as God stirred, I began to send out resumes again. And after a time, a small but all but dead church in Stockton, Kansas, contacted me. Now, I'm still not a gifted preacher, but in every church I've pastored, God has given me a love for the people there. And after I met them, I soon realized that that's what God was doing. Teach me to, to love these people. It's a supernatural love, one you just don't get unless God gives it to you. I always kind of consider that as a confirmation of ministry, of being in God's will. But my ministry, bearing fruit bearing to this day, comes from discipleship and watching disciples reproduce themselves. And even though I'm preaching a sermon every week in this church, the fruit will come from discipleship. Watching people mature until they can reproduce. And I'm still waiting on that. Like I say, I'm, I'm in Stockton now and I'm loving it. But like in Egypt, I'm finding spiritual barriers, barriers to the discipleship ministry, which is a must if they hope to survive in this church environment today. So God sent me a couple that we had discipled in Stuttgart, Germany. But they were living in Florida at the time, Gary and uh, Suzanne Huntley. They sold their church in Florida or their home in Florida, and they bought the house next door to us in Stockton, Kansas. Tell me that's not God. And I say again, discipleship, isn't flourishing there yet i've been there three and a half years now and i i'm shocked really god three and a half years but 
It's coming. It's coming. He's still leading and he's still providing through the gift, the rod that he gave me more than 30 years ago. Our God leads. He does not stand still, but we must know how to hear his voice and how to follow him. And I see people in churches everywhere. I think they're more following the crowd than they're following the Lord. Because they've never heard, they've never learned to hear his voice through the deceptions of this world and through the noises and the deceptions of religion. Like I say, in almost any church I, I go to, I, I, I think I see people following the crowd. But thanks for your kind attention. Thanks for li listening to the babblings of an old guy. And I want to close by saying that in all the years of no health insurance, no retirement benefits, small paychecks, God has never once failed to feed or to meet our needs, even beyond our needs. God has given me and my wife the desires of her heart. We've lived in some interesting places, some interesting times, had an exciting life, and we did it all over again at the drop of a hat. And when I look into the scriptures and see you, you, those at this conference, I know that we're also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses. Let us lay aside every weight and the sin that does so easily beset us and let us run with patience the race that is set before us because it's worth it. It's exciting. God will bless you through it. I would encourage you to nail down who you are in Christ. Not just the facts of it, but own it. Who am I in Christ? I'm a son of God. I'm the bride of Christ. I'm the body of Christ. Dwell on that. Bring it into your heart. Learn to live that truth. And I'd say one more thing. To determine what you are in Christ. Okay, you're a servant. But what has God equipped you to do? You may pastor, but that may not be your gift. You may preach. That may not be your gift. It's not mine. But you have a gift. And God will lead you through it. He'll open doors where that gift will prosper and bear fruit. So learn what it is. Because in knowing that, you'll know what to do when you get where God wants you to be. You won't be trying to do something that you're never equipped to do. In my life, that was very important. Questions? I think we have time. Yes, sir. Carefully. I actually went to South. I went to Jeddah. I spent, uh, and then I also went to Alhasa. On a business visa. Mm -hmm, of course. Yeah, but I mean, knowing just knowing 
culture there. And, and so how, I mean, how do you even ask around? Like, how did you find an underground church? You find a Westerner and somehow in the conversation, you'll, you'll, you'll kind of discern whether or not they're a Christian or not. And you just kind of carefully ask questions that aren't too poignant, I guess, you know, kind of, you know, Oh, you're a Christian. Well, you know, do you go to church anywhere around here? Or, you know, is there, is there anybody, is there a Bible study? But yeah, you, you have to be very careful and be careful who, who's listening because it, it can be very dangerous. I, I, it's been some years since I've been there, so I don't know how it is today, but I know how it was when I was there in the early 90s. You had to be careful. And when they put that TV or that Filipino pastor getting beheaded on television, that put a little jolt in you as well. So yeah, you, you just you carefully ask, and because I was Westerner, I asked Westerners. Come come to find out, one of the guys I was calling on a hotel, he was Palestinian, and he was a Christian. And so he and I, after our time, got to having some really good conversations about underground Bible studies, and he, he was also having one. There there are a lot of Christians in that country, but you really got to keep your head down. And I think God put me there to train me how to function in, in, in Egypt. Now, you can be a, a Christian in Egypt. There's no problem. But, but still, the secret place, if you want to have a visa, if you want to stay there very long, you have to be careful. Any other questions? Did I answer your question? Sure. when I go as a manager for Wendy's, so I fix the building for, for the staff. And then in the top of the, the building, me and my Muslim Egyptian manager, the other one, so we discovered a room is closed and what this, we need to open it, please. We will be responsible. Uh, so we open it, I discover a pulpit, seat, a guitar, so uh, Karam, the other manager, told me, no, you are changing it to a church. Said, shut up. <laughs> so we closed, and then I called the Latino guy. He is scared to death. Told him, I am a Christian, but tell me what are going on here. He told me, we need 2 a.m. Mm. to watch it. So I met them, and it, through them, they told me, there is a guy called Bob Matthews. Yeah. Really? Okay. Let me show him. <laughs> so who is Bob Matthews? At so, 2 a.m. Yeah, we were having church up there at 2 a.m. You just, you did whatever it takes to get the job done. I think Jeff said that and heard some other people say that. You just, you know, God sends you to place, you just do whatever it is. He will give you the strength. Any other questions? what you are in Christ. For you, that's a discipler. That's a spiritual gift. That's my gift. So the message for us isn't your spiritual gift should be discipleship. No. The message is you got to figure out what is that spiritual gift that God's given you. So so here's my question. Like, 
<clears throat> so obviously it, it clicked for you, discipleship. You, you saw it. But did you realize what you are through success of discipleship? Or was it yeah. like, did, did the fruit come first? And you're like, oh, this is my spiritual gift. Or like, did you have to wrestle? Like, how did you figure out? Like, I'm just thinking maybe there's someone in here. Like, I'm even thinking, okay, so my spiritual gift, you know, like maybe some of us have kind of forgotten God gave us that that rod, that staff to lean on, and we forgot. Or maybe some people never like don't even know like what is my spiritual gift. So, like how do you, how do you get there to where you know what your gift is? Not just who you are, but what you. Well, you you just heard me speak, right? I'm not a gifted pastor, right, or, or speaker. So th that's not my gift. Um, I I think I found out first uh, because. Uh, I had a conversation with, uh, I was in the discipleship ministry at KCBT, and I'm sitting down talking with uh, uh, Dale Moline. And in the conversation, uh, he was saying, he made the statement that only about 50% of those that were being discipled actually finished discipleship. And I go, what? My wife and I, I only remember one guy that we, and he died. So we were not only busy in that ministry, but God was just blessing it. So you, but I didn't know. I, I thought everybody was like that. And so he told me, no, Bob, that's, that's amazing. So that was my first clue. And then when I got to the mission field, I just, you know, like I said, I, when I got to Saudi Arabia, I go, you know, okay, guys, I want to, I want to, you know, I want, I'm ready. I, I want to do, you know, but no, nobody wanted to hear. So uh, that little conversation with God. What have I, how have I blessed you? Where has your fruit come from? So I think it comes in ministry in different areas, trying everything that going through every door that God opens to you. And then seeing where you bear fruit. That's huge. For me, that was huge. If I would have gone there thinking I'm going to be a big pastor, I can only tell you I would have fallen on my face. Wasn't going to happen. I don't, I don't think I bear a whole lot of fruit through preaching now. I mean, you know, I, I, through my preaching, I, I hope I teach people the Bible. I hope I... I get people to uh, to grow closer to God. I hope I get them into discipleship. But again, I maybe it's just me, but I define fruit as that which reproduces itself. Now, if a guy's a, a evangelist or something, and he brings his neighbors to church or he leads somebody to Christ, yeah, that's fruit. But that's their fruit, not my fruit. And I, and I hope I water and dig at the ground and help them to, to do that but again fruit is that which reproduces itself read john 15 carefully sure so i didn't know like george your connection with bob originally george the way i remember it george just called us 
as an LFBI student. And he said, I, I think I'm a pastor. <laughs> because I got all these people calling me pastor. You know, this is your fault because I'm just doing what LFBI told me to do. Can you guys help? And, and we were like, that's like the coolest call ever. So I'm probably not doing that right, George. But later I learned, I'm like, so how did all this happen? And he's like, well, there's this guy named Bob Matthews. Okay, I've been, Buggy and I have been serving together here for the last, I don't know, however many years. I didn't know at first, like, Wuggy's whole backstory goes back to a guy named Bob Matthews. So our nephew, Christine's uh, sister's son, was at our house recently with his fiance. And we're talking about discipleship. And normally you get that blank stare when you mention discipleship to someone outside of our fellowship of churches. And this girl who's super quiet, she's like, oh, I know about discipleship. We're doing that at my church. I'm like, really? Because out in Western Kansas, there's like not that much going on, right? I'm like, well, tell me about that. She's like, well, I'm from Stockton, Kansas. And our pastor is bringing discipleship. I'm like, is it Bob Matthews? Like, <laughs> everybody, the guy goes back to Bob discipling somebody. Okay, so here's, here's the thing. The fruit has remained because it is a branch connected to the vine. That's the spiritual gifting. So it's a work of the spirit. Amen. And I thank God for you, Bob, because it had you like leveled up pastorally and left behind the thing that God gave you. You wouldn't have the fruit that remains. And I think that's the key thing for us. Like you can never like leave the vine behind and just grow as like I don't know I don't know it's just it's cool and I think the challenge for us is okay what's my spiritual gift have I left it behind in some way right is that does that make sense oh it does it's it's so easy to to fit into the role model of being a pastor because that's you know that's what everybody wants to be a pastor right well I have pastored I just don't think I'm gifted at it. You know, I look at Brian and go, wow, I wish I could do what he does. Well, gee, I wish I could be that. But no, it's, I pastor, but my fruit always, always comes through discipleship. That's what I can point to. When, when I stand at the judgment seat of Christ, I don't think I'll be pointing to the people that I pastored. I think I'll be pointing to the people I discipled, that they disciple. They disciple. So I don't know. Like I say, I, I just, for me, that's been a really important thing in my life. Yeah. Uh, because I am your disciple and you are not a pastor preacher. I am a pastor teacher. So guys, as this is finishing strong, so we need to finish strong with our guests. Uh, sometimes we just play the guests, uh, you know, just when we have the chance, we do it. But uh, through this uh, uh, teaching today, we need to finish this strong with our guests for God's glory. Uh, uh, through discipleship, I have three people I discipled in Saudi Arabia. One of them 
Muslim background believers. He was a, a pharmacist. So he, uh, when he came to Christ, somebody sprinkled him in baptism. So in lesson three, when he said that the baptism, told me, uh, it looks like the baptism I have is not baptism. I need to get baptized. So I told him, let me call Bob Matthew to get baptized. I did not baptize during the time. So I called Bob and told him the the group would like to get baptized. Uh, so Bob said, okay, next week. So Am told me, no, today. Because if I will die, I would like to thank the Lord that I learned the lesson and I obeyed it. <laughs> I never forget. And it is written in, in my Bible, the date during Ramadan, 7 p.m. in the retreat. I thought you were going to say 2 a.m. <laughs> <laughs> no, 7 p.m. during the iftar. People are eating. The streets are empty. Yeah. I, you know, I, I don't know. Like I said, it, my experience may not be everybody's. I pastor. I hope that if the Stockton congregation were here, they would say, no, Bob, you're a good pastor. But I'm just telling you that my fruit has come through discipleship. I think I would echo that, Father. Not that it's nothing as far as your preaching going, but what was most interesting. Nothing, all right. It's neat to see God move. Yeah. I, I, I hope I'm an okay teacher, but I see some of the teachers in this church and I go, wow, you know, they got the gift. Some pastors, you know, Ephesians 4, uh, what? Ephesians 4.11. Uh, pastor, teacher. You know, every pastor should be a good teacher. And I hope I'm a good teacher. Still not my gift. Even a survey? Like, uh, I'm sorry. Uh, I, I, I think one of the things that I, I like about Bob is uh, we go way back. And uh, we were in shepherd school together. And I think one of the gifts that Bob has is he's willing to speak out and speak the truth in love. And he's very humble. And that's why he's talking like this. We were, we were the salt and pepper at <laughs> we, we both had the class together and uh, hung out. But I will say this. One of the things is he, he also has a gift of civil rights. And, and it's kind of weird. I, I want to say biblical civil rights. Because when we were in shepherd school together, I won't name the person, but this particular person, preacher, after, uh, decided that he was going to tell the story of Noah 
and their ark. And he decided to say that the raven that went out was like African Americans. And so I was sitting in the back with four other African American students, and we were all looking at each other like, what are we going to do? Can we say something? If we say something, we're going to be, we don't go against him. And we're sitting there. This guy, he's sitting on the front row. And he said, oh, wait, wait, wait. Where did you get that from? He challenged it. When he challenged it, all of us, like, wow. I mean, it just gave us so much peace because he was willing to say, show me that in the Bible. Because the raven didn't come back. And so he indicated that was like African-Americans would not come back. And it's like, wow. And so to this day, I still thank him, you know, for saying that because that helped us. Because had he not said that, I don't know if we would have continued to be in chapter school. Yeah. Yeah. So God has given him the gift to speak the truth in love. I know Deb Mulder is a disciple. Wow. Oh, yeah. Uh, Big time. Anyone else would say my spiritual gift is a part of discipleship? Yeah. I don't have all the spikes. All my disciples are not making disciples. You know, and I kind of beat myself up on that, but maybe I, I should. Pardon? <laughs> okay, so what we got 15 minutes or we what time we quit? Uh, we can quit anytime. Okay. If we want to have a group discussion or if you want to wrap us up, pray. pray. Um, but yeah, whatever you want. Any, any other questions? Yes, sir. Question. So with discipleship and stuff that we find like find faithful people to do that face that. Like, like, how much patience do you need to see fruit? Or you, like, there's people who use it. They're not going to be faithful if they are more teachable. Like, how do you discover that? That's why it's God. That's why it's a gift. See, a gift isn't what you can do in the flesh. A gift isn't depending on your abilities. A gift is God doing it. And so, God wanted me wanted to show me what my gift was so he brought me those people that would continue on so i i, I never really had that issue too much like i said in seven uh maybe maybe five years of uh, in the discipleship ministry at kcbt i only had one guy that didn't finish and he died and that just almost never happened but it was god so you you, you can't claim credit for it but some of you pastors with the gift of preaching, man, you, you bear fruit. People come to Christ. They, they get saved. You know, some of you people that have the gift of administrations, you know, you, you get in behind a pastor and you make it work where he wouldn't. So we've all got a gift. We've all got a gift. Find it.
But my question is, uh, I've always said, if I want to learn something about fishing, I go look at the guy's record, and and then I'll listen to him. And so, so I think there's a lot to pick in your brain as it relates to discipleship. So, but one thing I would ask you is, uh, based upon your success rate, how much of that do I attribute to God saying, this is a faithful guy, and I'm going to put put some good people with him how much of it would you say this is somebody that god put in my life and honestly they've got some challenges and they might be the 50 percent that isn't going to make it but you could respond to that and you turn them to the other side so so in another way what do you do when you're discipling somebody and you say i don't think this person is responding to the way that I think it should be. Well, I, I think you have to just cut them off and let them go or pray about it and see if God will open another door. I, I always, uh, the way I did it was I didn't, I made people finish the lesson in writing before they came. And so I like to, I like to teach by answering questions. Well, if they didn't do their lesson and they didn't have any questions, then we stayed right there. And maybe I would teach around the lesson, but I didn't take them any further. So I always always made it incumbent on them to have prepared and hopefully have some intelligent questions. Because I think discipleship isn't the 16 lessons. That's just a tool. To me, discipleship is making that lesson relevant to their life. And they will ask questions relevant to their life in that lesson. They'll, they'll take what's in that lesson. And the questions will be, well, my my son did this, my daughter's done this, uh, my job is is this way, it's happening this way. You know, how how does this fit in? And so it's those questions that make it real, relevant. So I I, I, I never disciple by just presenting a lesson. That's information transfer. That's not discipleship. Discipleship is taking those truths and putting it in their life relevant to them but for me that only happens as they ask questions and if they don't have questions then i ask questions but i never just present material never it has to be a dialogue or it's not discipleship it could be teaching but it's not discipleship well, at what point did you feel like that you were right there just ready to just throw in the towel. Jet of Saudi Arabia was probably the worst because that's like I said, I was there and I was all hyped up. I said, Shepherd School graduate. Oh man, I'm so ready to get out there and win the world of Christ. And nobody, nothing, nothing. I was lower than whale bones for a few months. I was I was ready to throw in the towel and come home. I was. But God just had to have that conversation with me. I, 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 I really I really wanted to pastor that church. And God said, hey, let's have a come to Jesus meeting. I didn't call you to be a pastor. I pastor. I've done it and I've loved it. I can't imagine doing anything else. But he didn't call me to be a pastor. He called me to be a disciple. Pastors should be disciples too, shouldn't they? One other 
observation in that I, I saw out of Bob's ministry over the years was, and I won't name names, but sort of a difference that I saw between Bob and the other Shepherd School graduates that, that eventually failed. Bob, you were so willing to to adapt to a, a culture that's, that's very different. You came out of a, a big city, and I'm sure part of that's your time on the mission field, but Laramie, Wyoming is it's a ranching area. I mean, it's the home of the University of Wyoming, but it's a rural community. Centennial is 20 miles out of town at the foot of the mountains. Half the turf were ranchers. Bob was literally out there, branding calves. I mean, we got pictures of Bob flanking calves, whatever it took. And sometimes he was beat up and tired, but they he were never flanking me. <laughs> he was always, he was always there. He was always encouraging. The the other person, Centennial was never Kansas City, and it was always sort of this complaint about, well, the weather is not the way it was in Kansas City, or this wasn't the way, or that. Bob never complained. He just got right in there. And those ranchers, it's hard to win their respect. It's hard to, to minister to them. You've got to earn their respect. You've got to earn the right to minister to them. And Bob did that. And so that's, thank you for being that example to me, because that's something that's, that's a lesson that stuck with me. You have to earn the right to minister to a lot of people. What Paul say, I become all things to all men. And if I want to achieve, you can go to the mission field, be ready. To become all things to all men. Yeah, from from this the situation of the uh, the ark, uh, God uh, used Bob to teach me this lesson too. When I asked him, according to my background as an orthodox, so he just replied, "Books are sacred." So thank you for that too. So any false doctrine or any questions or any statement, uh, somebody would, uh, I asked him, uh, so he told me, books up the verse. We open the, the verse and we go through to discover the contextual difference. Well, I, I never meant this to be an all about Bob meeting. <laughs> uh, but, uh, no, it is just part of God blessing you. And by the way, you owe me some of my disciples or, or my disciples, they are your tools. So <laughs> don't forget that. <laughs> yeah, that's true. So you work hard. Yeah. <laughs> Wagi's my tree. He's not my fruit. Yeah. His fruit's my fruit. Yeah. So when his fruit reproduces, that'll be his fruit. Right. That's how I see it. So let, let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Lord, we thank you for who you are. Your great faithfulness. Father, if I've never learned anything, I've learned that you're faithful. Faithful to your word. Faithful in your love. Faithful in your guiding us. Using us for your glory. Lord, we're so faithful. We thank you, Father. Thank you for that. I thank you for this church, Lord. I thank you for Chris and all those that have taught and give testimony, Lord. All the pastors that are here, Lord. What a work you're doing. How do we just praise you for that and give you the glory? Because you've worked in all of our lives, Father, and, and you're going to do so many more, so much more. Lord, I thank you for all those that are here 
uh, this morning, Father. I just pray you'll continue to work in their lives and, and Father, to, to lead them and guide them and, and, and use them, Father, for your glory because it's as we're used that, that we feel so blessed and so close to you, Father. Our love for you just grows and grows as our experience with you grows. So, Father, we just thank you for that. In Christ's name I pray. We hope this message was a blessing to you. If you're interested in learning more about the Living Faith Fellowship, visit lffellowship.com. God bless.